Offside with Andrew Gunley and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn. It is a bonus podcast on a late Thursday night. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Congratulations. Another caught offside cup goes to you. Thank you, sir. We haven't even talked about the game. We, we've literally just started this podcast. It's completely cold. Me and you haven't discussed the game. Curious for your thoughts. I have many. Um, I actually don't have that many. Um, well, I say that, and I'm sure we'll start, and then they'll come kind of pouring out. But, I mean, my overall thought is that Tottenham absolutely got what they deserved in this mm. game. Like, I don't know. A lot of times we come on here after Tottenham games and, uh, you know, talk about their lack of attack. And that was also there tonight. But the one thing that is generally good with them, except in the final, you know, five to 10 minutes of a game is they're defending. I thought their defending was so appallingly bad tonight across the board. Mm. Name a player on that back line. Bad game. Hugo Lloris on the, on the second goal. Awful. Um, You know, like Matt Doherty, his inability to clear a ball tonight over and over again. Uh, you know, Rodon, who he doesn't get many opportunities, so I don't want to go in on him. He's, he's a young And he player, had a good first half. And he played well in the first half. But like the mistake on the third goal that pretty much ended the game, I, I guess it can happen. Guys get caught up in no man's land. And, and that's a thing that can happen to even, I guess, the best of defenders. But God, it just looked awful. Uh, Aurier on the uh, on the first goal just losing yeah. Mane and, and and that was a, a constant theme throughout the first half over and over again Mane who came into this game not in the best of form by any stretch of the imagination and like if there's one thing that you can count on it is that Tottenham will play Liverpool back into good form that is just how it is uh, and, and I think that's a, I think that's a little unfair I, I think you're what you're saying about Spurs is right and and we'll get we'll get to more about Spurs because I I think while there's there was defensive problems tonight no question there's there's the other glaring problems that 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 you know are coming to to fruition now at this point at a crucial point in the season for them uh, but I thought Liverpool played well tonight Andrew I thought there was a zip about them. I thought there was the, the I thought the pressing was good. I thought they linked the play much better. They they created chances in a fashion that was more reminiscent of of what we've come to expect from the team. It wasn't as turgid as stodgy as as previous weeks. You know, I thought they took their goals really well. I thought Liverpool were good, albeit Tottenham definitely definitely played into their hands in terms of bad defending. Yeah. Uh, to me, that was the storyline. You're right. I, I'm not trying to take anything away from Liverpool. I, obviously, I'm focusing on the Tottenham angle of it, and I just yeah. thought that, I just thought their defending was so bad, and that's just that's not really a characteristic that I've come to expect from from this team. Uh, you know, like I said, they've had moments throughout the year where their defending lets them down, but not across not not over the course of an entire 90 minutes, like I thought was the case tonight. Uh, and, and again, that is credit to Liverpool because they put Tottenham's backline under pressure. But, you know, even, you know, even when that wasn't necessarily the case, when it was, when it wasn't necessarily sustained pressure, Tottenham were still letting in long balls over the top. Uh, it was, I just thought that this was among their worst performances this season. Uh, you know, I, I don't, and, I don't, and I a, think it, 
I think not to cut across you, but I think yeah. that feeling of it being a bad performance defensively is compounded by the fact that they carried so little attacking threat after the first maybe 20, 25 minutes of the game. Because I thought Tottenham started brightly. I thought they I thought their press was decent. They looked like they were going to play on the front foot. They it was a nice interchange. I thought they were desperately unlucky on the VAR decision for Hyun Min San. I think if that goal goes in, it's an it's an awkward 90 minutes, knowing how well and how compact. Tottenham can be when defending a lead although I I'd, honestly you know I don't really buy into that way of playing and I'd still fancy you Liverpool don't? to get a <laughs> I'd still fancy Liverpool to get a goal but I thought Tottenham were bright and then slowly but surely they retreat into the into this shell they decide that once it, it's almost as if we didn't get the goal the you know San's goal that's our chance I mean the statistics Andrew it's, it, they're just unbelievably bad. Uh, Daniel Story tweeted this, one shot for Tottenham after the 22nd minute, mm-hmm. most of which was when they were supposed to be chasing the game. I mean, you can, you can be a bad, bad defensive team because I've seen them. Brendan Rodgers, Liverpool, Klopp's early Liverpool iterations. You can be a bad defensive team, but you can give yourself a chance by having a coherent together attack. Tottenham just tonight were completely exposed. And then when Kane gets injured. Well, it, that, I mean, and it makes it, it even worse. But Andrew, you know, it was happening before Kane got injured. The, the, the regression back to, towards the 18 yards. Yeah, per, perhaps, but I'd say half of the first half, that wasn't the case. And Kane was out there and he was a part of that. Uh, but then for him, he goes off at halftime. And okay, obviously that's, that's bad news. I just can't believe that Lamella is the player who's brought on yeah. with Tottenham trailing by a goal. And I guess this can take us into another conversation, which is becoming more of a conversation with Tottenham. And that is this idea that Bale can't help them. Yeah. And I, I just can't believe that. Like, well, I, what, what, what did you make of his introduction into the game? I, I mean, he came on in the 81st minute. Uh, they're down two goals. Uh, did he do anything to to help bring them back into it? Not not really. I mean, Sp- Spurs couldn't but, get the ball for, for right. a start. It's, yeah. it's, exactly. So I don't know. I'm certainly not going to pass judgment on whether or not Bale can help this team by what he did in the final 10 minutes in a game where they were already down two goals and out of it. Uh, look, I, I know it's Wickham, but I see him play on in the FA Cup a few days ago, and he and he's playing well, and he's part of the attack, and he's part of the action, and he he scored right, didn't he score uh, yeah, on he Monday? You know, so like I, I don't know. I, I I just don't think Lamella is the answer to break through against Liverpool when you're down a goal. They even talked about it on the broadcast after about 30 minutes of, of second half play, where they hadn't even mentioned his name. He was just so anonymous, and I just. I, Maybe I have this image of of Bale from five years ago that's just stuck in my head, and and I need to see more of this before I can finally realize that he's not that guy anymore. But I I just can't believe that he could be out there for that long and be as anonymous. I just don't ever think that that will be the case. Yeah, I I, I think if he was going to be anonymous, it was probably going to be tonight because like Spurs, you see, it, it's this thing where where if you if you're so committed to to limited football. And then you have to go and chase a game. That that's when you see these flaws emerge. And it's not like Tottenham have a good mid, don't have a good midfield. They do, but they don't have a midfield that's used to being on the ball. I mean, how many times did they get turnovers from Liverpool? And you think, all right, this could be dangerous. They should they should thread a few passes here. They should get things going. 
only for there to be a wayward pass or they'd lose out in the tackle. And then the ball is back for the next few minutes. And it was just this constant uh, problem. They never got on the front foot. Well, that's the thing. And that's what I want to ask you is because, and look, I'm not trying to make this a Mourinho conversation because I know how sometimes this can go. But yeah, what sure, sure, But sure. what you're bringing up right now is interesting to me because oftentimes we do have this reflex of, okay, Tottenham aren't really doing anything in attack. Mourinho's their manager, X plus Y equals Z. Mm. You know, like Because they're not attacking and Mourinho's the manager, this is a Mourinho thing. But what you're saying right there is interesting to me because I do feel like there are moments where Tottenham are trying to mount an attack, but like, is a wayward pass or a turnover a Mourinho thing? I think sometimes these players are just sloppy, that these some of these players are just not as good as maybe we've given them credit for. Well, well let, let me give you an example. In the first half, Andrew, um, it was a foot race between Matip and Hyunmin Son. And it was, I think it was the last time, maybe it was, I remember Allison made a save from Son, but it, it was pretty much the second to last or the last time that Son got in behind, right? So mm. that that clear that clearly is a problem. You know, there's there's a breakdown somewhere in what they're trying to do. And what was that? It was a long driven ball from I can't remember who it was at centre back. Um, it was a good pass and a quick transition, but there's no one near him. Like even if he got to it, held it up, Matip gets goal side. There's no one close to him. There was a couple of times when Spurs get the ball, they get it to Son. And he's surrounded. What I'm saying is there's no patterns of attack. Like if you watch Manchester City, you're the man who can call out what City do best. Bing, bing, bong, end line, cut back. You know how they're going to do it. You can see the phases of Liverpool's attacks too, where they get it to Robertson or to Trent Alexander-Arnold or they slide it into a channel where Salah comes short. There's none of that with Tottenham. There's none of that movement. And it's not just me saying it. Grace Robertson, Liverpool and Spurs, this blew me away. Liverpool and Spurs played almost exactly the same number of passes in the game. So I'm talking about them, Spurs giving up the ball, but they had 584 passes to 586. But Liverpool successfully completed 11 within 20 yards of the opposition goal, whereas Spurs completed, do you want to give me a figure? Within 20 yards? Yeah. Uh, two, three? Zero. Zero. No, so, so that goes to show you there is no uh, attacking cohesion. And like when Lamella comes in, God bless him, Andrew. Like, what does Lamella give you? He works hard. He's gritty. He's, he's gritty. But like, if I'm going to hammer Frank Lampard for for Kai Havertz looking absolutely lost in the field, I'm sure as hell going to hammer Jose Mourinho, who's worked with these players longer for the same problem. Uh, I guess so. I mean, they had, I, I remember they had one extended period of build-up play that ended with a turnover around midfield. Like mm. they, they passed the ball around probably for, it felt like about almost two minutes. But like, do you uh, feel and, do, do you, like, I, it's hard to remember outside no, look, of the, they, they score goals on the counterattack. That's, yeah. that's how they get their opportunities. And they had some of those tonight. They, mm. like we said, a, a molecular offsides prevented one of them from, from counting. Um, you know, that's that's how they're going to get their opportunities. They're not really a side. Like, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to judge their attacking play by how they, you know, what their buildup play is like, because that's not really, that isn't but, really them. That's not oh, really their, their attacking DNA. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll put it to you this way. It's not working then. You know, that, that, that counter no, no. counterattack isn't even well enough organized that, it, that it's working. 
Um, and I actually thought they looked at their best, Andrew, when they did press a little bit in that first 10, 15 minutes and they created the chances they did. Um, but, but, you know, I, um, I got to give credit to Liverpool, though. I really do because, you know, they grew into the game. They, they got control of the, the game and they looked potent in a way they haven't before. There wasn't as much kind of, you know, passing around, passing that wasn't working. Um, we talk about this horseshoe where it goes from one side, goes into Thiago, into the center mid, then comes back out to Trent Alexander-Arnold and there's a cross that doesn't work out. There was much less of that. Like, look at the cross that Trent put in for the, uh, for the goal. As much as Roden was in trouble, he was in trouble because he was facing his own goal with a with a cross whizzing across the surface, a brilliant ball, and um, and Mane finished it well. Uh, it could have been it could have been four one. It could, I mean the the goal that was ruled out for VAR rightly. All, I mean people are arguing about this one. It's it's fair to clear it up. They they adjudicated that uh, Dyer wasn't even if he was fouling um, Firmino. Dyer's handball in that moment was accidental, which I would concur with whereas Firmino's was deliberate. And so they ruled out the goal. And now, look, there's issues with that as well. Um, I understand that. But, you know, that's a goal that could, on another time, could have easily counted. Like, Liverpool could have run away with this much more comprehensively than they did. Yeah, I, I do give them credit. I'm not trying to take away no, I know you're not. what Liverpool did tonight. I mean, they, they were very good. And, and like I said before, they forced Tottenham into some of these mistakes and, you know, and into some of the positions that they were in. I think... You know, there are certain players for Liverpool tonight that that needed this. You know, we talked about Mane, uh, what a great performance I thought it was from him. Really, all three players up front. I mean, yeah. all three of them had been struggling coming into this to certain extents. And I thought tonight, all three, um, you know, even though Salah never quite uh, got the goal tonight, uh, you know, I thought he was good. I thought all three of them were threatening. Um I have to give credit to to what Liverpool did as well to lose Joel Matip again and to put in Nate Phillips who is, I mean, he, he's fine, but he, I don't think he's a Liverpool standard centre half and put him alongside a centre midfielder. Andrew, that was Liverpool's sixteenth centre back pairing in twenty 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 one. I mean, yeah, they- and and it started a little bit. Um, it was ropey. Nobody yeah. tracked Son, right? And, and but I'm, I mean, for Phillips in particular, when he came on, he got a pretty yeah. quick yellow, uh, and you worried that that could be an issue for him for the rest of the second half. But it, it, it really wasn't. I think Mourinho will be desperately upset that um, Phillips comes into the game, and there is pace in the Tottenham team, and there is speed, and that they couldn't really uh, take advantage of that. Um, credit, I suppose, if we're giving credit, credit to Hoiberg for that goal as well. He took his. Oh, I thought. I, th- I think Hoiberg is a fantastic player. I, took it, I thought he took his goal really, really well. Um, yeah, Andrew, I don't know what to say. I think, I think, uh, I think this one was... Uh, it wasn't close. It wasn't even like last time where you could say, well, hey, you know, Tottenham had the better chances. That wasn't the case tonight. No, no, this was, this was pretty one-sided. And I think the scoreline was, was just about right. Uh, only a couple other observations that I had for this. One... Not that it matters, but first of all, I'm annoyed with NBC for not showing a replay of this unless they did and I missed it. But okay, like Allison clearly caught that ball outside of the box, did he not? No, I didn't think so. I, I, thought, really? I, I thought it wasn't I thought, even close. Maybe oh, the, I, I'm I, sure there's a screenshot somewhere on Twitter where I could see if someone has it or not. I, I thought it was you know, in I, real I, time I, without any replay from NBC. I was like, 
what are they just going to let this go? Uh, I'm going to have a look for a screenshot now. Um, I don't, I'm, I don't think so. Ah, no, I can't see it. Right. I don't think there is one. I'm sure someone will send us one now listening to this. They'll be incensed by it. Um, I just was surprised NBC, you know, they show replays of everything. I, I don't even, is it even their feed? I don't know if they're taking some other feed and they're at the mercy of, I, I don't know how it works exactly for them. But I, I was like, I, I, on, I'm, show me something here. I'm genuinely, I just went, I went like this. Oop, he's misjudged that a little bit, but I never thought that he was actually out, but maybe he was, I don't know. I don't think so. It, it did. Um, we had a few tweets. I think it was from a Spurs fan about that. Uh, oh, really? And then we, we had a tweet from a Spurs fan who was upset that they didn't draw lines for the Mane run for the first goal, which, I mean, I didn't even think it was a, even close to being offside. No, I didn't think so either. But there you go. I mean, that is another thing that VAR has done to us. I guess. I don't people, know. To, people, to me, this is not a night to complain about VAR. I thought both calls were were right. Like, I, yeah. I didn't really, you know, they're, look it's frustrating for Tottenham to get a goal early against Liverpool, a team that traditionally, at least in the recent past owns them. You know, Tottenham need to get the breaks in these games against this team. And to get that early goal, you think, okay, here we go. And then from the first in real time, I thought, uh, Oh, I thought it was yeah. close. And then in the replay, like, it, yes, it is molecular. It's close, but he he's offside. I, I don't, there's almost, I don't even see the point in wasting energy and getting upset about it anymore. He either is or isn't. And he Andrew, is. Andrew, I've been numbed into this kind of acceptance. I was ready to go, oh, we've gone one nil down. I was already criticizing Henderson and the and uh, Matip for not picking him. I Honestly, that was so close to me. If it went one way or the other, I was fine with it. I, I It's too tedious. Like, I, you know, sleeves, elbows, yeah. shoulders. Can't do it. it, it for me... You know, unless it's something blatant where I'm like, oh, my God, look at all the green grass. He's a mile on side. It's it's too tedious. Um, and then you mentioned uh, I'm so annoyed because the the Hoiberg goal, it, it was it was really the only like fun moment, I guess, mm. for, for Tottenham on the night, because it, it, the close proximity to the Liverpool goal that had just happened. And, yeah. and maybe you think it, it's brought them back in the game. But the problem was I, I was so angry after Liverpool scored their second hmm. and I was sitting there stewing in it, just like scowling at the TV. And like, sometimes, you know, you just kind of get like a little sudden little burst of anger. I don't know. Maybe I have anger management problems that I, that I need to deal with, but I just like, as I'm stewing in it, right. Kind of like right before play restarted, I kind of like I punched the couch and Amanda was sitting also on the couch. And I think she was startled by it. And so then I became like, so self-aware and now i'm like oh now she's judging me because i'm making a fool of myself and then as this is happening hoiberg scores scores that goal and i just like couldn't even enjoy it because i was still just like scowling and angry and mad at myself for, were you for um, like a clown yeah i don't want to make you any more angry before we get off this game were you upset with larice for that i felt he could have pammed it out wide rather yeah, than I back. Said, uh, for the second goal yeah. Yeah. I said I, that was one of the first things I said when I was talking about the defending, and then I named him specifically as, on that second goal. I thought that was terrible. All right. Okay. Terrible I, by him. I, I, yeah. I thought it was a tidy turn by Sadio Mane, but I definitely thought that that Larice, being the keeper that he is, could have dealt much better with that. You know. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and he made a sharp save from Mane in the first half. That snapshot that Mane had when he was moving across to the right. Yeah, he, he had a couple of good saves, but that one was that was awful, bad. and it and it cost him dearly. And 
another player, you know, I mentioned the three players up front for Liverpool that needed a, a good outing. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold has had a, a kind of a, a target on him of late yeah. as being a guy who is not playing at the level that he had been playing last season or even the season before. And I thought he was excellent tonight. I mean, getting a goal obviously is, is huge for him, hmm. but that's not even necessarily his role. Like you said, Rodon may have misplayed it, but the ball that he played for Mane, it, it at least put Rodon in a position where it was going to be difficult for him. And yeah, it was it was a very well well put in ball by uh, Trent, and I thought he was great tonight too. And and for you and Liverpool, you have to think that okay, maybe whatever the rough patch was, you know, these guys are are through it now, and and maybe now you're on the other side. Yeah, I'm not being disrespectful, but I see Sunday as going as because we know we knew exactly what we're going to get game in game out with a Jose Mourinho managed team. There are no surprises now. I wonder what. You know, they've given us trouble in the past. Um, I think West Ham could be a really interesting game on Sunday for Liverpool. And and like, it's... What about for them? I mean, they're looking... Huge. At, look where they are right now. I mean, very quietly, like David Moyes is going to have to start getting some consideration for manager of the season for what he's yeah. doing here. Um, I watched the highlights of the Crystal Palace game and um, they, were, they were good in moments, very, very good in moments. And he's refined or he's made them very... Dangerous on set pieces too. Cresswell's deliveries, corner kicks, things like that. But they're good generally. They're just a good, well-managed, solid side. And Moyes deserves a huge amount of credit. And they will present different problems uh, and possibly a tougher game on Sunday. And I'm not being disrespectful to Spurs. No, be disrespectful. I don't care. I deserve it. <laughs> Tottenham deserves it. I'm a bad person. We've got other things to talk about tonight, though. So I know, you know. this was a, this was really a a bonus podcast that was designed around the caught offside cup happening today. I don't, I don't know that we would have been here doing this, had that game, had this game not been played today. I'm going to stop suggesting that we do emergency podcasts after Tottenham Liverpool games, because I just don't feel like it ever. No. And listen, I can, you're down and I can tell, and I knew from the beginning, but you got up the energy. We're going to talk about other teams being bad now. That's fun. Isn't it? I don't care about anyone else. Well, what did you want to talk about? I mean, obviously, uh, let, let me, Manchester let me United and Sheffield United was fascinating. Uh, it's what, it, a, what an absolutely stunning game. And I texted it, you after it happened, and I don't mean this. I know how this is going to come across. Oh, I'm not no. trying to offend Manchester United fans when I say this, but I texted Offend away! Well, I texted you after the game, and, and right when it went to full time, and I just said, I love this league. Like, right. the fact that this, like, I, I guess this stuff can happen in other leagues, too. I mean, we see crazy results. It does, results and, and it does. But like Sheffield United have just been so so poor. Like they're going down. They're, it's it's basically over for them. They don't score goals. You know, whatever joy they had from last season, it it was just sucked away so early in this year. Like they're on five points coming into this game, and meanwhile, United are that team. Like they're riding high, and you're talking about you know Ollie's got them back in a title run. Like this stuff like this at Old Trafford, this is not supposed to happen, and it's. It's this kind of parody that makes this league so much fun. United were for for everything that Sheffield United did, their hard work, their effort, like Billy Sharp starting with McGoldrick up front. I mean, is there a more kind of mid-table or top of the table championship pairing than those two? And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but they they were brilliant. They just ran the lines. They worked so hard. Uh, Lundstrom in the middle of the park was excellent. The, the defense, he, you know. The fact that United 
didn't beat this defense, hadn't a team capable of beating a defense with like Ampadu, Phil Jagielka, 38 in the center of that. Ampadu, who's had a, you know, just hasn't fit in, hasn't had a great season, put in a performance of the season, one of his best performances. Basham as well. Um, And the fact that United couldn't unlock this, Pogba missing in action. Again, you know, scores that goal against Fulham. He teases you. He is the burlesque. Of, of, of midfielders. He shows you a little bit and then you don't see any more. They, like, Bruno Fernandes, if he's not taken, United aren't taken. I don't know why Luke Shaw didn't start. I, I have no idea. The form he's in, you've got to play him. Maybe you wanted to rest him. Maybe you think you're going to win the game. Uh, maybe, he has a, maybe he had a knock. I, I searched the internet. I couldn't find a solid reason for Shaw entering the fray as late as he did and not mm. starting in the game. The Sheffield United winner was the worst goal I have ever seen scored. It was the worst defense. Everything about this goal deserved the comedy soundtrack. It deserved Curb Your Enthusiasm. I have seen... uh, Here, I'll be honest. One of the teams I play for, right, Andrew, it's an over 40s team. You're allowed to have... You're allowed to draft three players under the age of like 35 or whatever, the age keeps going up. And I was one of them. So I played for this team. It's actually a storied football club. So it's me and two other guys. And sometimes we come up against teams who have guys who are pushing 50, right? Well into their 40s. And the pace of play has slowed down. That's the kind of defending you see when we play those games that you saw for Man United. Like De Gea kick it into the stands. They had like three chances to clear it and they couldn't do it. Uh, I cannot even begin to tell you how funny that goal was. Not funny to United fans, but it was like, I watched it back four or five times on Twitter. It was just one of those moments where you're like, these can't be professional footballers doing this. Yeah, I think what was surprising about it was just the amount of time that it felt (laughs) like Sheffield United had. It's just not, like you said, it's not what you expect from, (laughs) you don't, and to see Manchester United, who have, who have been playing well, really yeah. well, um, uh, I guess everyone is due for a letdown. But I just, can you? I can, just wouldn't have expected it in this spot necessarily. Can you win a league when you're that bad at home? Um, when you've 14 points collected at home all season. I guess this is the the year for like if that was going to be the case, I suppose it would be a year like this where there are no fans in stadiums uh, some of the home field advantage is is wiped away with that i don't know maybe i'm making excuses for them so uh, i don't com- i don't know in commentary last night i heard about even the goals that they've scored at old trafford close to half of them came in the leeds game where they scored six <laughs> like they're not they're not good they're they're a good bad team or a bad good team. I think if you're a Man City, I know. I don't I'm gonna know get, if I can, I'm going to get slow. I don't know that I can fully uh, co-sign that. Yeah, I don't think I fully believe that either. I think they have really good players, but they are. That was that, well. That's the thing is like it's just hard for me to look. They certainly have individuals out there that I don't necessarily always think are that great. But mm. we are still talking about a team with Rashford and. Bruno Fernandez, yeah. who is among the players of the season thus far. I know he's this month hasn't 
been great for him. But um, yeah, say what you want about Pogba going in and out. Overall, since his reintroduction to the side, he has been a he has absolutely been a benefit to them. Sure, he has. Uh, you, you're Definitely. mentioning you're mentioning Luke Shaw as a player who's played well this year. Juan Basaka, I think, is a good player. Fred has had a good season. He has for United. Uh, I just so, can't like, explain. I can't explain this. I mean, that was more like a start of the season United performance than it was in the in the recent run. And Gary Neville tweeted this thing because there's no crowd, United won't panic. They'll keep passing the ball. If there was a crowd there, they'd be on edge. They absolutely did panic. For the last 15 minutes, they never cut Sheffield United open in the way you'd expect. I was expecting this onslaught, these waves of attack from this United attack. And all I saw was diagonal balls into the box, which Ramsdale was catching, trying to find Maguire's big head. Like it was just, yeah, it was bad. It was, I guess, let me recant what I said. Considering how they've been the last few weeks, it was jarring to see them play like that. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's a little more uh, palatable, I guess. Yeah. Uh, probably still won't go over well. With the... Oh, it's not. Oh, I'm going to get crushed. Now, Absolutely crushed. Now, whatever. unfortunately, um, the real ugliness didn't take place until after when... Um, oh, God. When racial abuse was spewed uh, on social media towards uh, Axel Twanzebe and Anthony Martial. Um, look, we've done how many of these podcasts where we've, yeah. where we've addressed this and it's just, it's exhausting. And I feel there's nothing else. I don't even really know what else to say other than I just feel terrible for these guys who are, you know, they're just like, they're just trying to do their job and, and play this game and try to play it well. And like, this is not, and now they're thrust into this and they have to deal with this. And it's, um, I, I feel, I just feel sick for them. I, I like, I liked what um, Andy Mitten had to say about it. Um, Andy is the editor of United. We stand. He's he writes for a whole load of publications and a massive United fan. Um, Alex Tuanzebe's life story is an inspiration to millions. Kid arrived from Congo age four and didn't speak English. Grafted at school and got excellent grades. Captain Manchester United at every level. Pity the rancid, face, faceless racists who abuse him and the platforms which propagate it. And that's, the, I honestly, like, who are these people? And they can't, the anonymity is, you shouldn't be able, if you can go into a forum and spew racial hatred like that and racial epithets, you can't be able to hide away. That is... That is just not acceptable. So here is the thing about that, because I'm, you know, I'm hearing more and more when these things happen. The, the typical things that we hear are that you got to find these people. Uh, if if there are charges that can be pressed, so be it. They should be banned from stadiums. Um, but now I feel like more of an eye is turning towards the platforms themselves. Yeah, uh, which I think is smart. I think that's that's a, a very good idea to try to to silence hate speech. Uh, I just don't know how you do it. Uh, so like, if you want to shut down accounts, I mean, obviously you do that, but like, what's to prevent somebody from just like having 45 Twitter accounts that they can just like go to the next one. I, I don't, it just, I think that's, that's a, a great way to, to think about this is, is trying to grab it from, from the root. Yeah. Um, that is the platform. But I, I just feel like that's a battle that is almost impossible to win. I just, I, I don't know. I um I don't know either. And um 
It's it's just scary. It's very man. sad. It's yeah, very sad. it happens all the time, and it's it's not just you know the bigger clubs. We've seen it with the uh, aforementioned David McGoldrick. You know, he received abuse at, at Sheffield United. It's it, it's everywhere. It's I don't know how these people think. You know, these how can you look at Axel Tuanzebe and and not just see a human being who went out there and tried his best? Yeah, it doesn't give you a right to racially abuse someone. And where is that coming from in you, within you? Like, I don't, I don't understand it. I really don't. Um, a couple other games midweek that we uh, we wanted to mention as well. We've been talking about Manchester City and this upward momentum. Um, and then De Bruyne gets hurt and we think, oh, okay, is that going to in some way stall what they've been building over these past few weeks? Well, I mean, I know it's West Brom, but evidently not. 5-0 is uh, at least, regardless of opponent, it's at least a little bit of a statement without your best player. Yeah. Um, Andrew, they were, uh, they blew them away. That is... Uh... It's, I, I think what we have to bear in mind is that in 1819, they did have a significant period without Kevin De Bruyne and they, and they could still function and they could still play extremely well. And if you look at the team they put out against West Brom, I mean, there's so much quality in there. Bernardo Silva, Gundogan is in, is in great form. Foden, Maris, Sterling up front. And, and they've got that back to a Diaz and Stones that's, you know, really in gear. They, Rory Smith tweeted this and I, I kind of chuckled. He said, it's going to be Manchester City 10 points clear by the end of February. Hmm. It's, it's well, a scary I'll try thought. I remember that he said that. I don't, I don't, I don't know that I, uh, I, I don't know, Andrew. Are you I starting mean, to feel that way too? I'm feeling that way a little bit. If you look at their, you know, their upcoming games, they've got Sheffield United at home, Burnley away. Although Burnley, I mean, if you've seen what they've done lately, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's before they play Liverpool at Anfield and then they've got uh, Tottenham at home and they've got Arsenal away and to round off February then they play West Ham at home there's a lot of points in there for them as far as I can see possibly and it looks like they they may be facing a uh, Tottenham team without Harry Kane we didn't really mention that but it it sounds like he he could miss a few weeks Mourinho said it was both ankles and he expects him to be out for a few weeks which is unbelievable um, one player for Manchester City that we have not talked about really at all this season that I think is now kind of really like forcing us to at least address him and give him some props. Uh, when we talk about good fullbacks in this league, João Cancelo is not a player who, whose name we've really mentioned very often, but he is emerging, I think, in the, in the last couple months, really, as one of the better ones, both in attack, defense. He's, uh, he could be the next big fullback hit in this in this league that has a bunch of them right now absolutely Andrew and I I think it was we were kind of wondering a little bit about you know it City have had haven't had the best of luck necessarily um with fullbacks and um no he's been brilliant as well it's um it's weird how this team if you look one to eleven how many areas in which they're clicking all of a sudden it's not weird. It's it, it should be scary and concerning for the rest of the league. But Cancelo has been a massive part of that. He's played really well. Yeah. Uh, and I know there were a couple other games that you wanted to mention as well, right? Leicester and Everton. Yeah, I just wanted to, I mean, I suppose Leicester maybe not having Vardy, not having that because Vardy's recovering from a hernia surgery. Um, I thought Leicester played really well and Everton were lucky. Albeit it was a great goal by James Rodriguez. I do think Everton were lucky to come away with 
with a point from that. No, nevertheless, it's it's a good point. And I thought, yeah, if there's going to be one Achilles heel for this Leicester team and what they're trying to do down the stretch, it's that the replacement up front was Iosi Perez. And then you look to the bench and you're thinking, well, who's the other option outside of that? And it's Kelechi Inacho. Mm. And I was wondering maybe could Rodgers have done something a little bit clever with some kind of false nine? Because Ian Acho is just not going to score the goals. And Perez is, he's, he's decent, but um, the quicker Vardy gets back in, the better, I think, for them. But yes. um, <laughs> I yeah, th- I think that's bore itself out over this uh, generation. Yeah, and I also noticed, noticed rain, Andrew. How many games have we watched in the last two weeks? Well, first of all, how many games have we watched in the last two weeks? It's, it's, it's oppressive. It's too much. It, it, actually, it is. I, I think that is worth mentioning. Um, yeah, I'm just looking at like Tottenham's upcoming schedule. So this week is Monday, Thursday, uh, then Monday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, I think. Like, <laughs> it's <laughs> This is ridiculous. Yeah, and and it's not. Someone someone asked us in the on Twitter, and I didn't get to it in the mailbag. I might as well address it here. You know, is this is this good? Even you know, no crowds. Like, can we enjoy the games on their merits? Yeah, are they as enjoyable? Not really. I don't know. There's a re, there's a. I feel like there's a relentlessness to it. That's the players are tired. We're a little bit tired. I mean, look, you and I may watch tonight's game differently than other people because we're because of our emotional investment but like if you were neutral watching this liverpool tottenham game i think that was pretty enjoyable i i i do think when you get into a game you can you can make your peace with the fact there's no crowd but it's it it is a definite diminishing quality that this is still behind closed doors it just it really is and i do think the frequency is is too much but i'll tell you what um what has been fun there's been a lot of fun going on in italy andrew Hmm. Can we talk about a little bit about Italy? One, th- one other thing. I'm sorry to disrupt what? the flow of what you were doing there. No, that's fine. Uh, we should at least mention uh, Thomas Tuchel's debut for Chelsea. There's oh, not yes. a lot to say about it. Nil, nil. Uh, boy, Wolves. Like maybe a lot of this is down to Raúl Jiménez and his absence. Although even before he went out, just. I know last year too, they were very counterattacking based, hmm. but uh, this season, I don't know. I, I, you talk about dull teams and, and for the talent that they do have, I feel like sometimes they, they should be a little bit better than what we've seen from them. I know I, I started this by talking about Tuchel and his debut, but <laughs> Wolves are kind of the one that was just like a little more interesting to me in that well, way. Just quickly on Wolves, they're, they're trying to find ways. They've lost two key pieces to a system two consistent starters in Matt Doherty. They've lost Diogo Jota. Jota. And, and those are, Jota, obviously, from the creative point of view, but they have got other creative players. But but Doherty and just that whole system that they had has made, they, they've had to tweak things, they have to do things a little bit differently, and it hasn't really worked out. So, yeah, they're a bit dull. They're a bit turgid. On, on, on Tuchel, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's impossible to to really read anything into a first game except I liked how engaged he was at halftime he was coming down the tunnel and he's talking to Kai Havertz and he's like giving him the come on get stuck in let's get going let's get on the ball kind of geeing him up and then Pulisic comes over and they're having they're sharing a joke and and I mean the first thing we heard out much I'm sure to 
Frank Lampard's chagrin wherever he was following things. You know, we saw the tweets from um, Nazar Kinsella and people who follow Chelsea saying that Tuchel's first training sessions or his first instructions were highly tactical. Lots of instructions, which is just, you know, the opposite of what we heard about uh, Frank Lampard. But there's nothing really to, to say um, the boy, Mason Mount, beloved child of Frank, was on the bench. Um, I don't think we can read anything into that just yet. And um, neither Pulisic not starting. I don't think we can read in anything into that either. Um, so, yeah, not much to say for this game. But Tuchel looks enthusiastic. I'll put it that way. Well, and I'm, will, sure, I'm sure we'll put a shape on this. I'm sure that the just like the dark cloud that has been around that club for the last several weeks, I'm sure it's just been stressful probably to to be there, you know, to be in that dressing room to be at training sessions because this has been building and building. And I think it's made even more stressful by the fact that it's a club legend in Lampard that it was directly affecting. So uh, that, that, that rubs off Lampard is the leader and, you know, seeing the stress on his face as as this was coming to a head, I'm sure that rubs off on the team. So now that that dark cloud is kind of lifted, there probably is sort of this like weight that's kind of lifted off of, off of the team. And so maybe you'll see that in, in, a different kind of like a change in enthusiasm or mood. Uh, Cause you're right. I saw like the, the, the clips of Pulisic and uh, Tuchel having like a big laugh together on, uh, on, on the touchline, but yeah, I guess we'll see. I mean, it, you're right. It's, it's totally unfair to judge whatever he's going to do off of a game where he had what, like one training session, I think yeah, before I, this happened. So I, I just knows? think they're going to be, I just think they're going to be better. They'll just be better. Um, and, but it's going to take time obviously. And um and he'll have to uh, he'll have to whip those German lads straight into shape. That's yeah. the first thing. That's probably the first order of business. Mate. He said also that uh, Tuchel, in talking about Lampard, because he was talking about, uh, or somebody asked him about just you know the the weird feelings that he's now kind of the guy who's replacing Lampard, even though Lampard didn't succeed as a manager. It is still a club legend, and and not maybe not all the fan base is behind this. And Tuchel said that a the fans they they need to support the club that the, the club needs that but also that Lampard I guess sent him a letter, uh, text or, you know, I thought or a text yeah supporting him and and wishing him well for the job which I thought was you know maybe that happens a lot I don't know but uh, I thought that was a classy move by by Frank to kind of <laughs> try to get the fans on side with with the new manager and and sort of you know. Sure. Even, even in this bad moment for Lampard, he's still Chelsea to the core and still wants to to see them succeed. I thought that was kind of a important gesture. Yeah, and we shouldn't we shouldn't make that this this is something that the Chelsea fans want. You know, this divorce. I mean, it's not nice to see a club legend walk out, but but this is what Chelsea are. Chelsea's DNA is nothing but replacing managers. The manager wins until he doesn't. Then he's gone, and there's a new one. Also, the season the season ticket holders. Uh, those who would be kind of long-time Lampardian loyalists are not in the stands. So no one's going to hear from them, really. Right. Right. Uh, you want to talk about Italy. I'm sorry. I uh, I deflected. No, that's fine. That's that's quite all right, Andrew. Uh, I know your disdain for Serie A is... Oh, isn't... stop. That's not true. <laughs> no, it's you. not true. Um, two interesting stories I want to talk about quickly. Uh, Napoli beat Spezia today to secure their place in the semifinals of the Coppa Italia, but it's been a busy 48 hours for i Cucciarelli, which means little donkeys. Uh, on Wednesday, Gattuso got the dreaded vote of confidence from owner Lorenzo De Laurentiis. Um, things haven't been that bad, but Napoli are in sixth, uh, but still only two points off fourth place Juventus. They, they have did... to go back on Retiro. <laughs> well, 
this was uh, this was a little bit different. They did lose at the weekend, three one to Verona. Um, so Gattuso gets the nod from management, but he and captain Lorenzo Insigne had an impromptu meeting with Napoli, Napoli's ultras outside of the team hotel as they prepared for today's game. Um, so Andrew, I, I I watched this video of these um, kind of gruff voiced uh, Neapolitan men talking to Gattuso and Insigne at a balcony and I didn't know what they were saying and the translations I was getting online weren't great so I got a listener's dad who was from Naples to help me translate what the ultras were saying wow um effectively they were saying that they support and love Insigne and they offered reassurance Insigne said that after the penalty miss against Juve in the in the Supercopa final that he was very upset and couldn't leave his house hmm. and he hated reading the negative comments on social media. Um, I found this quote from the ultras uh, on a Napoli blog. So this is one of the things they said to Insigne and Gattuso while they were at the window. Um, Lorenzo, you are the master of Naples. You made everyone move from home. We are proud and proud of our captain. You need to be more serene, pay more attention to penalties. So um, these guys must love getting instruction from, <laughs> but it's, it's absolutely like where else in top flight football in the top f- five leagues do you, must you hold court with the ultras? It's Outside, amazing. It's, it's amazing. Stunning to me. Um, it, it's really amazing. And it reminds me of back in the day when it used to happen at Lazio, they used to march on mass to the training ground at Lazio to, to give their complaints. I'll say this. You know, I know the connotations behind ultras, oftentimes ultras specifically in Italy. Um, so I'm not talking about, you know, the that kind of fringe element of it. But right. there is something almost like refreshing about yeah. players feeling like they need to hold themselves accountable to the fans specifically. Oh, yeah, I think so. And I often wonder and ponder, is that why, you know, players like Insigne, haven't gone anywhere you know is that why say someone like say someone like yeah he's the classic example like why you know i often thought why isn't like barcelona or liverpool or psg trying to sign insignia and i'm sure they have Mm -hmm. but you know that this loyalty to the fans is is so different in italy um so thanks to Lucia's dad for the assist on the trans- <laughs> on the translations. But me bothering people in the middle of the day so I can translate ultra videos. No, that's cool. Um, and one more story from Italy. Uh, in the San Siro, another Coppa Italia quarterfinal had all the fireworks, Andrew. Inter downed AC Milan 2-1 with a 97th minute winner from your former boy, former boy of the manor in North London, Christian Eriksen. Uh, a trademark free kick hit the net past uh, Tatrushano, who was a little bit too far to one side. But nevertheless, what a great drama to finish the derby game. Um, Zlatan put Milan 1-0 up after a half hour. Then at halftime, he was involved in this altercation with Romelu Lukaku, which was kind of vicious. Like Lukaku had to be held back yeah. um, and restrained. And then uh, Zlatan promptly earned himself a yellow on the hour, I think, uh, which gave him a red for his uh, for his trapping or his sorry tripping of cholera um but it was really bad at half time um there were comments about wives and mothers picked up that lukaku was saying that was the video that i saw where you can hear yeah. lukaku i guess in a few different languages but english being the Mainly. first of them uh 
saying something to Zlatan to the effect of, you know, why are you talking about my mother? What'd you say about something, something like that? And he's, he's irate in it. Yeah. He's got to be restrained. Like you said, um, the BBC reported that a pitch side microphone had picked up Ibrahimovic saying, go do your voodoo to Lukaku and an apparent reference to 2018 comments from Everton owner Farid Moshwari that the Belgian turned down an offer to stay in Merseyside on the advice of a voodoo message, whatever that means. Um, however, Ibrahimovic said on Instagram, in Zlatan's world, there is no place for racism. We are all the same race. We are all equal. We are all players, some better than others. It's not good. No. It doesn't feel good and it doesn't sound good. Even if Mashiri, Mashiri was the first one to say it. Why, why would you repeat that? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I wonder if that'll be further investigated or if it, this will just been, be left alone. No, it's been investigated by the Italian FA, apparently. So, hmm. and uh, to round off what was a bizarre and uh, feisty encounter, uh, the game was so daft, Andrew, that the referee came off with a hamstring injury midway through the second half, which was why there were so many minutes at the end of normal time for Ericsson to score. And he was replaced by what I can only describe as a younger sexier doppelganger who's that the ref the referee so the referee had a hamstring injury he came off the guy who comes on looked, looked like him like, like him he looked like him 25 years beforehand <laughs> interesting younger right. and sexier yeah uh, i'm sorry if i seem distracted jj uh because right now we're recording this and it's uh about 11 15 eastern time mm. and it just struck me of, of course that the uh the MLS deadline for a possible lockout on these negotiations. Remember the 30 day window that we had talked about. Yes. I believe is at midnight tonight, like 45 minutes from right now. Right. So that just kind of hit me. And so I've just been on Twitter scrolling through to see if there's any updates in, uh, in the negotiations because they are in not just well, the, the final hours, the final minutes. Uh, again, these are not, I don't know if these are hard deadlines. Like nothing happens at the end of this 30 day window, but there's a chance that by the time you're listening to this, we could be looking at a lockout for MLS, the first one in, in the, league history. The players sent back their recommendations, their, their thoughts today. Um, right. Um, they submitted to MLS its latest proposal for a revised collective bargaining, bargaining agreement. Uh, the MLSPA offer attempt, this is from Jeff Carlisle, offer attempts to find a compromise with what MLS has proposed. In the MLS Players Association proposal, the terms of the CBA would be extended by one year. The union is asking for players 23 uh, years of age and higher, and with at least four years of service to qualify for free agency in 2025 and 26. The previous free agency threshold was 24 years of age and five years of service. Um, there's other other issues here along with that. Um uh, we'll see. This is, I don't know. I, I don't have a very, not really based on anything, just my own intuition. I don't have a great feeling about how this is going to go. No, I don't either. I feel like, I feel like MLS thought it would have its, not have its way, but that the players would accept their proposal and that they would move forward with the, the revised and now, and now we're in this situation where MLS has to consider what the players have given them, and I, I just feel like they may not go. This may not go the way we want it to go. Now, it, this was the week in which MLS announced it was going to have a start date, and you wonder if that's going to be met now. I don't know. I don't know. So, 
obviously keep an eye out for this. By the time you're listening, there may be some sort of new breaking news on it. Um, but yeah, that just kind of, I was looking at the clock. I was like, wait a minute, that, that deadline is like now, yeah. but no, I have not, have not seen anything as of this moment. Uh, before we close out, I, I hear you have a mailbag. I'm going to whip through it very quickly. Uh, caught offside pod at gmail.com on the emails, caught offside ESPN and Instagram and at Seagull soccer pod on Twitter, by the way, leave us an iTunes review. You've left some amazing ones with great recommendations. Um, I would like to make another quick recommendation. Gomara, based on uh, the Italian feuding drug gangs, a drama about those, uh, also set in Naples. Very, very good. So that's one I would recommend, uh, Gomara. Also, when we tweet this out from Atsio Soccer Pod tomorrow, hammer it a retweet because it's a Friday pod and we need to get it out to as many people as possible. When you see me put up the link and the pod uh the pod episode up just hit that retweet um andrew a few people were upset at your anti-bike comments last week uh, i can't help them i don't um, know i don't know what to I, say. I i told them you were joking you were clearly joking um but um you you've nothing else to add to that no look if people are so desperate to be offended uh because i they thought i was too harsh of an activity that they like then I, I can't help you. Then be offended. Hate me. I don't. I don't care. It doesn't. It doesn't bother me. One um, guy. One guy left a review saying we were woke for even discussing bicycles and bike lanes on iTunes. So I despair with humanity when I see messages like that. How dense do you need to be to leave? I mean, for, the whole conversation was based in in jest. Like, well, not really. I mean, you were you had gotten hurt in a bike accident. Yeah. And so, like, my whole thing was like about banning bikes for, for like out of your safety essentially like and look yeah. some of it you know what no forget it some oh, of it's God. rooted in truth no because I, I, oh, I some of it's rooted in truth look oh I, no two things i'm not going to become mayor and let's say i did i would not ban bike riding on day one all right so everyone who actually took that seriously like it was so clearly not a serious comment what is serious is that i do drive around new york every day for work and i do see the way near misses happen between people on bikes and cars. I'm not making that up. No. If people like people want to be offended by me saying something, I don't even understand where offense was taken. Do you know what? You told, I, I didn't actually read these emails. I'm going off of what you said. And you, you, I can tell when you're kidding and when you're serious. And your tone was that people were truly, truly mad about there was, it. There was three or four really ones where where they took you dead serious then and, stop then stop listening to the and, podcast and some of them were bike advocates so um i don't i don't know what to say that's i you know what i'm annoyed no one gave a flying f about my safety or my health <laughs> i got zero tweets about are you okay can i come and rub lo lotion into your temples or something i got nothing yeah if they if they want to be offended then that's fine. They can be offended. By the way, um, so I mentioned earlier, JJ, that I thought Allison was outside of the box. Yeah. Uh, just when I was just on Twitter right now, scrolling through to see if there was any news on MLS, uh, a, a Tottenham account that I follow does have a screenshot of it. Yeah, it's not the perfect angle, oh. but it's it's good enough for me. He, it's not close. <laughs> it's not close. It's, okay. He's he's it's outside the I don't know. It seemed like a weird one to have missed because even in real time, I remember thinking he's outside the box and. At least this screenshot makes it look pretty, pretty clear well, that he was. Listen, on a night like tonight, you need whatever wins you can get. So there you go. I, yeah, um, uh, I know. 
uh, we uh, talking about uh, merchandising, pod merchandising, which uh, my bosses have told me they'd circle back to me on. So we'll wait on that one. Uh, Andre was prompted to make, I mean, dude, you've got too much time in your hands. I appreciate the work, but it's too much time. He made an actual, he made actual caught offside full kits, which oh. all just kind of looked like Glasgow Celtic kits. I got to be honest oh, with you. They've got great kits. Yeah. And uh, he made a crest as well. So amazing. Amazing. Thank you for your time, but please. Speaking of which, I saw you tore into Tottenham's fourth kit. Um, I, I'm gonna. I, I don't. And, I, and I, never, I saw you. I saw you followed it up by saying, "Look, it, it's in the eye of the beholder." Um, yeah, it's funny. Before I even saw your, I didn't see what what you had written. I just saw. I saw the kit, and I loved it. Did you? I loved it. But it's like it's just like the sneaker. It's the sneaker logo and design and branding on a jersey. I just all I'm, right. So, and the jersey's not for. By the way, they branding will, on every jersey is this. They year, will are not you new to the sport. They, can you, it's it's specifically Nike Air Max, mm-hmm. different styles, different uh, different versions of the sneaker turned into a jersey. I just thought that was oh all right okay fine do it. But I didn't think it looked that good. I didn't like the Liverpool that one that much either. And also they're not going to wear them. These aren't going to be worn. They're just yeah, well, that's a, that's a shame. That's a that's a lost opportunity. All right. I don't think they look that good. That's all I'm saying. See, I'm shocked that something new and different would come out and, and you wouldn't like it. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Bike boy. Joe, um, this is a, this is a serious. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. It's late. Um, we got a, a serious one. Joel Harrison got in touch to let us know of a big loss in Jamaican football. Uh, Luton Shelton passed away last week, aged only 35 Aye. of uh, ALS. Um, Shelton is Jamaica's record goal scorer having netted 35 times in 75 internationals. Um, he played a season at Sheffield United in 06, 07, that, that year where they came up and they were controversially relegated in the Carlos Tevez gate incident. Um, so that's just terrible news. 35, yeah. man. Um, Paul Burkett, how much credit should we give Klinsman to the development of young American talent in Europe? Despite the blowback he got for saying US players should go to Europe, it seems maybe he was right. I also wonder how much influence... Klinsman had direct or indirect in encouraging these players to leave the US for Europe as teenagers. Um, I would say very little. A lot of the young Europeans were saying, it's two pronged. So the the European players were seeing like uh, making their debuts or, or Serginho Dest or guys like this. I doubt he had any influence on that. And I think it was clear to many people we needed more players playing at the highest level in Europe. It was how could we do that? Now, where I will give um, Klinsman credit, I read this amazing article from um, Wendy Thomas in American Soccer Now, dated October 21st, 2015, where she basically said, Klinsman, not a good senior manager, but as technical director, he's instituting a load of changes and reforms. Here's just a few of them. He established the U16 and U19 national teams, giving US soccer a total of eight youth national teams, U14, through U20 and U23 for both men and women. He helped establish a U12 age group in the U.S. Soccer Development Academy to start in the fall of 2016, introducing new small-sided game standards for players U6 to U12 to play on smaller fields and give more opportunities to develop on-the-ball skills and soccer intelligence, Um, increasing the number of U.S. SDA clubs that are free for players to join uh, from almost none to 34 
Uh, now, to give credit, she says uh, where credit is due, there are primarily these are primarily MLS academies. But like he had a lot of innovations that he pushed through that are probably going to help the development of players. But like if you look at some of the players that went over, like, say, you know, Tyler Adams went over because he played MLS at a young age and because he was in a system with the uh, RB Leipzig and uh, New York Red Bulls Association. That's why he went. Um, a progressive club like Philadelphia definitely um, would have would have been helpful for Brendan Aronson going over. And the fact is that, you, you know, there are good academies now in the US and European teams can buy bargains and really good players and get them over to Europe. And I'm not sure you can give Klinsman credit for that particular happening. Yeah, I, I guess in terms of whether or not he deserves credit, I think I'm kind of in your camp. I don't know that I would necessarily go that far to say it. What I would say is that um, he was right. Of course. Like, like he, for whatever we want MLS to be, and we certainly want it to be a, a great thriving league that has great players in it. But here and now, if you are concerned with how our national team is going to perform, Klinsman is right in that these guys should be going to Europe at young ages. So again, I don't know if, if he's the reason they're doing that, but I think what we're seeing is that his head was certainly in the right place in trying to push players to go that route. I think uh, I, I'm going to post that article from Wendy. It's obviously dated now, but it's just interesting how busy he was as technical director. If, if you can attribute everything, all the bullet points he makes to Klinsman, you know, he had at least a vision for the future. More That's of a interesting. Vision. Yeah, more of a vision than he had um, with the senior team. No, that I like that you bring that up because that's an element of his legacy that is never talked about. It's not that's, talked about. That's interesting. And uh, finally, Chase Porfilly, uh, do you think Atleti's title match this year is down to them being really good or more weakness from Real and Barca? Um, I think Barcelona and Real Madrid losing and drawing a lot of games has obviously helped. But Atleti have conceded just eight goals to this point. Think about that. Eight goals. Um, and more than that, they've added goals of their own from Luis Suarez, joint La Liga top scorer. They've got, they've just got three goals less than Barcelona. Barcelona have 39 goals. I think Atleti have 36. Um, it's been like this marriage of this stingy defense and this this forward line that can that can convert and, and narrowly beat teams with the goals that they need to do. So it's it, yeah, you got to give Atleti credit, but you know, Barcelona. The answer is it, probably both, right? Both, both things. Yeah. Is that it? Uh, that is the male BZ. Well, there you go. Another pod in the books. Another caught offside cup in the books. That is it for the season, right? Uh, um, that's it. That's it. Liverpool uh, are out of the FA Cup, and uh, there, there's like they can't there's no other competition that they could beat in against so not that not that I can think of right now but I'm sure that with the way there's so much football happening someone will invent a competition before mm. the end of the season because we don't have enough games well I look forward to losing that too <laughs> this was fun I said in all <laughs> <He's>... seriousness <laughs> I hope you have a uh, a great weekend my friend thank you for staying up late and doing this I yeah no absolutely that. my pleasure um everybody hammer this one a retweet we need to get it out to many many people and please leave an itunes review and um you know just tell us that you love us or call yeah. us woke because we like bicycles whatever you're into that is bizarre <laughs> I, don't know. Uh, I just can't help some people i don't know what to it's do it's the name of our new indie band the woke bicycles Ooh, 
Yeah. I like that. Like Good it. idea. Well, hey, this was uh, a podcast. To <laughs> you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. And cheer up, you. will ya? I'll see you later, man. Bye. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 